You're a pastor of church, you know staples are an enemy. Okay, I'm moving on. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, on a more serious note, verse number 1, Therefore we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Genesis chapter 13, verse number 7. So an argument broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Then Abram talked it over with Lot. This arguing between our herdsmen has got to stop. After all, we are close relatives. I'll tell you what we'll do. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we will separate if you want the area over there, then I'll stay here. If you want to stay here in this area, then I'll move to another place. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. Then the, the whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose that land for himself, the Jordan Valley, to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and his servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So while Abram stayed in the land of Canaan, Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom among the cities of the plain. The people of this area were unusually wicked and sinned greatly against the Lord. Now there's many directions that could be gone here, but I'll try to stay a little bit more focused this morning. Um, I was a little bit longer winded last week, but it's a different church. <laughs> My wife told me last week, she goes, why don't you preach like she went with me up there? And she was a great benefit and help except in one area. Um, but she said, why don't you preach like that at our church? I won't tell you my response. But I want to talk to you, if I can, for a few preacher moments about some dangers, specifically drifting. Now, we could go on about this passage I read to you, and we could preach in many different directions in Sodom. And by the way, let me interject here. A lot of you are talking about your destiny, and you're, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're saying, my destiny's heaven, but you're, let's move. We talk about dangers in life. We talk about dangers uh, physically to our children, physically in our lives, dangers of our diet. <laughs> no pun intended. Y'all are tough this morning. I was only gone one Sunday. Dangers everywhere. We look around in danger and we can argue and maybe scream about what this danger is and what that danger is. But what is it really that the danger we face today? We can talk about politics and, and the fact that our politicians, in case you didn't know, do not have your best interest in mind. <laughs> Ooh, I could preach on that for a while. But we talk about dangers everywhere. Some people fear different types of things and some fear like maybe a biological attack. And if you'll look over what's going on in Israel right now, uh, what, what the uh, terrorists, they filed, uh, fired hundreds and hundreds of rockets over the last couple of days into Israel. 
And so some people fear that type of an attack or maybe a chemical attack. Uh, we have all these types of fears. Some people dread or fear the dreaded COVID virus. And not that we want to make light of it. We have some in our church. I hope they're watching. Y'all pray for them that have been positive COVID. But we love them to death and we ask them to stay home. Just like if you have the flu, stay home. We love you. We don't believe in tempting the Lord. Don't bring your monkeypox here. There you go. So some people fear that, the COVID, the cancer, monkeypox virus, all these things going on. I, I've lived long enough to see all these different viruses they label and always have an animal in front of it. I don't, whatever. All the scientists in the room may get it all, but I don't care. Right? So it's all these things and we have these fears and fear and fear and fear and all this stuff that we fear. Some fear like they may... Uh, get hit by something while they're driving or, or maybe if they fly, there'll be a, a fatal plane crash. Well, I might as well say that if you crash in a plane, typically it's fatal. Okay. Whew. But see, these are all physical things that can destroy your physical body. These are things that can maybe tear your body up, break a limb, you know, destroy something that's physical in you. But what we should be more concerned about is, or I believe, is the endangering of our souls. The endangering of our souls, as the writer would point out to us, by drifting away from the path that's been pointed out to us by Scripture, by a man or woman of God. Our spiritual progress, if you will. The dangers of drifting from that place. The words of this text warn us very strongly of the danger of drifting. Ooh, I'm going to have fun in a minute. That 350 motor just started. It'll warm up in a minute and it won't even idle rough. Dangers, physical dangers are one thing. Spiritual dangers are far different than the physical side. We're warned very strongly about the danger of drifting. It's a warning for every single person watching, every single person sitting in this room, and it should be a warning to all of God's people about drifting. Yes, people drift. Pastors can even drift. Deacons and elders and board members and the greatest saint you know can drift. Sunday school teachers can drift. Wives and husbands can drift apart. The number one reason I believe it still is, it ha it, excuse me, it has been for many years for divorce in America was irreconcilable differences. It wasn't for infidelity. Surprising. Two strong-headed people not wanting to give in. Boom. Ooh. It's not a marriage class. <laughs> Old people can drift. Young people can drift. Good people can drift. Bad people can drift. This drifting thing. We can all drift. A church can drift. A church can drift because it becomes comfortable and complacent and has lost its compassion for people and for souls. Its passion that would compel them to engage has drifted and gotten cold. A nation, as we've witnessed in America, can drift. A nation where good 50 years ago is defined today as evil. Evil 50 years ago is defined as good. We've seen our nation drift to a place we never thought it would drift. The values have sunk into what my parents used to, no, I better not use those terms. I was told in Wisconsin, by the way, just to interject here, that they said, man, your father, 
he preaches in some churches up there. And I met some people at the wedding, and they were like, man, your father, it's cool how y'all have all these, these sayings in Texas. I said, no, we don't. Those are him and him alone. Nobody knows what he's saying. I still don't. Been my father for going on 60 years, I guess, pretty quick, but never mind. Let's move. I'll have to pray in a minute. But it's, it's, it's all these things we see, moral foundations that were secure and values that we thought we held dear, even in our personal lives, we've drifted. The Bible used to be the moral compass and it used to sit on coffee tables and on bookshelves and people had them on their nightstands and not just to sit there. People actually read them and studied them back in the day. Now it's, we don't even have a physical copy and we're still loading or downloading the app and some people don't even know how to download the app and so they go to Facebook and get their doctrine. <laughs> Instagram and get their value systems. Twitter uh -huh. get their moral code. And so we don't even do that. It seems, how did we get to this place? But really, it's easy to drift. Let me just stop at this place for a moment and just ask, have you ever thought, how did I get from here to here? Okay, I'll talk to me for a minute, but maybe there's some of you that will glean from my testimony. I've been there where you wake up one morning, you were on fire for God, man, and you got saved and you were excited Man, everything, you were passionate about God and, you, and, and it just seemed like overnight, man, I, I was that guy and now over here, you couldn't jumpstart me with a flamethrower. Hmm. I'm talking about my testimony. Remember, this ain't y'all. How did I go from there? It just seemed like yesterday, but, but drifting is not something that's dramatic in an instant. Drifting is easy because it's so subtle. Your prayer life, begins to wane. You don't pick the Bible up as much as you used to. Prayer meetings, uh, I can live with or live with, it really doesn't matter. Fellowship with God's people, which is a mandate in the same book I just read out of. I can take it or leave it. And so you look up one day and you wonder, wow, how did I get so cold? Now, there's some identifying markers, which is not in my notes, but I can tell you them. What you'll find when people get cold is they get real critical. <laughs> you ever met cold people? They criticize everybody else but the guy in the mirror. Okay, let me go to this side. That side didn't like it. Right? There's some identifying markers of somebody that has drifted. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they're people. It's not because they're this awesome or bad person. It's just because... They're people. It's easy to drift. There's this poet there. Nobody knows the name. It's an unknown writer. And he, and he wrote a, poet, a poem called A Real Man. I won't take time to go through everything. But the mother, there was a mother that copied it. And she hung it on her son's bedroom wall. And this poem simply warns against the peril of drifting. It's easy to drift with the current swift just lie in your boat and dream. But in nature's plan, it takes a real man to paddle the boat upstream. Amen. We have a natural tendency to follow the path of ease. We say we don't like confrontation, so we back off. We say we don't want to rock the boat. 
so we don't even get in the boat. We say we don't want to mess up things and so we don't even disturb anything. We just go along to get along. Maybe we should have somebody that was loaded on one of the cars to Oswitz to come testify what going along to get along means. Oh, Lord Jesus, some of y'all didn't know history. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. I mean, what is it? There's a natural tendency for us to follow the path of ease. It's no different for me as a pastor. I'm a man, too. I have to, I'm a man. I have to fight this guy, too. <laughs> that's the worst guy I fight every week is this guy. Not all the stuff y'all puke on me, but me. Y'all like that, how I threw that in there? Wasn't that funny? Not one amen comes out of that ever. <laughs> it's me because we like to follow the path of ease. And so we follow that path of ease and we catch ourselves drifting a little more. All of a sudden, the things that were core doctrine, all of the things that were core, they were core to us before. We wake up and we find ourselves like the church at Ephesus. We've lost that passion, that desire, that drive, that first love. When you first were saved, y'all remember how wild you were? You first were saved. You couldn't believe there was a God in the universe that would save you because you were so nasty. Amen. Okay, I'm talking about me again. <laughs> right? You couldn't believe it. And you were so excited. Nobody had to tell you anything, man. You were just excited. But what happened? Well, you're 50, you're 60, you're 70. I'm not quite as passionate. And some people even get to the place where they say, well, I've done my time. Hmm. Please don't say that to me individually. <laughs> I'm a loving teddy bear until you do that kind of stuff. That's like poking the bear. It's just easy. We like the path of ease. On, on all sides, we're encouraged to avoid anything that's difficult. Don't, don't face anything. This is the, the whole problem with everyone gets a trophy. Y'all think it's not connected? It is. You don't have to deal with anything difficult in your life. Oh, my Lord. If you've had any birthdays at all, life's a challenge. Marriage is a challenge. Now, y'all got to get on the same side. You're disagreeing and you're disagreeing. I'm going to the middle. These people really don't know where they're at, right? It's a challenge. And what we've done is we've made, we've created this culture now where we encourage people to take the path of least resistance. Go that path. Nothing will resist you there. How many of you know you're not, if you don't have something, the Bible says that you got to have something rubbing against you. Iron sharpens iron. If something's not rubbing against you, that's why great marriages are those marriages that they can rub against each other and become better. Now, I know we got a couple of, there's, there's one marriage back there I know that's in 50 plus, 55 years or close to it. I may be wrong. That's a long time. You might ask her, it may be longer than it is for him. I don't know. Another marriage over here, I think, is 55 or 57, right? They don't mind me telling If y'all mind me, then I already said it out loud so we can't retract it. It's a challenge. It's not the easiest path at times. At times it is challenging. At times it is difficult. How many of y'all know relationships are difficult in every relationship? Even your relationship with your kids who you love. 
Even relationship with your grandkids. Y'all heard me earlier. We're going to have all them little ones. My wife said, oh, it's not going to be too bad. We're only going to have the four little ones. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. They're the ones that can't take care of themselves. <laughs> They're the ones you got to chase all the time in 24 hour a day, seven day a week attention. So I know what's going to happen on VBS week this week. I'm going to do a lot of passing out. <laughs> the path of least resistance on all sides we're encouraged by culture says avoid anything that's difficult. We like to follow, we like to follow the path that's natural and normal and easy. Nothing that challenges can I just interject here that nowhere in your Bible does it tell you that walking the Christian life and carrying the cross of Christ is going to be easy. Conversely, it tells you it's not going to be easy because you're in a world that rejects him. Most of us follow the crowd because we're pressured by the crowd. Most of our kids fail because we'll blame it on peer pressure. I let y'all know a couple of weeks ago that a lot of the peer pressure was your kid, not the other kids. Y'all remember when I said that? Anybody remember when I said Nobody remembers when I said that. That's how effective I am. Right? You say, well, they just fell in the wrong crowd. You knew your kid was the wrong crowd. Don't be lying. <laughs> it was your kid that put everybody in danger. Okay, let's move on. My mother used to say that about me, and I'm thinking, Mom, I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible. I was the wrong crowd, Mom. Most of us like to follow the crowd or because we're pressured by the crowd. We fail to recognize that the crowd is usually wrong. And most of the vital issues that affect your life, they're wrong in the crowd. We have a natural tendency to look for the least expensive thing, not realizing we give up something for the least expensive the easiest way or the easiest thing, not realizing that we have to compromise to get those things. The most convenient way to do the things that are important. We fail to realize that there's no shortcuts in life. There's no shortcuts to success. There's no shortcuts in your salvation. The world, the flesh, the devil... They can, he continues and all of his minions continue to pressure us to take the path of least resistance. Don't allow anybody to press you in any way. Take the path of least resistance. Don't worry about praying. Oh, the devil loves it when you're not praying. <clears throat> don't worry about going in fellowship. The devil loves it when you're not in fellowship because you don't have the protection of the herd. Ooh, Lord Jesus, I need to preach on that. He loves it when you're isolated because you become the injured gazelle that the lion. The world, they're just continuing. The devil continues to encourage us to drift. Any dead fish, as the poem said, can drift downstream. Why do we drift? Why is it that it's is this even an issue? Why are you even talking about it on a Sunday morning? Well, we can answer the question by saying the world, the flesh, the devil, and you'd probably be right. These are reasons why we drift. But there's, I believe we should consider a more practical standpoint. And that is in our flesh, there's this tendency built in us to sin. There's a sin nature in our humanity there's something in us that draws us to that temporary pleasure of sin. 
It seems so fun for a minute. Has anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever sinned? I know it's everybody in here, so you don't have to raise your hand. Right? Have you ever sinned? And, and in the moment, it's like, man, that was pretty cool. But then came all this regret and stuff that just poured on top of you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The guilt and the shame and the regret of why did I do that? Then you look in the mirror and you want to beat that guy up. You, you want to do like that Jim Carrey show where liar, liar, where he beats himself up. Okay, I probably shouldn't use Hollywood references, but it was a funny show. And that guy's a maniac. Right? Have you ever sinned and then there's this regret that comes? But see, there's a tendency in us that wants us to go that way. Even born-again Christians can have a tendency to do things that are contrary to the will of God. We're all surprised when a pastor messes up. We're all surprised when a Christian or sister so-and-so or, or, or Christian, a, man, a male Christian or whoever it is, a brother so-and-so, why are they sent? How did they do that? Because they are flesh. Because they're saved doesn't give them some sort of an immunity of the temptations. Because how many of you know that the devil is constantly... He's constantly, no matter how much we talk, Doug, no matter how much you and I are on the phone or talk, this is constantly in my ear because the enemy is doing everything he can to get me to open the door. Pastor Nick said it best, to, to struggling with sin and signing up to sin are two different things. If you're struggling with sin, God bless you. You're a human being. You're a blood-bought saint of God. But when you sign up, say, I'm gonna give in to it and do it anyway. I better not go there. Even born-again Christians have this tendency. Galatians 5 says this in verse 17, the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And the Spirit gives us the desire that are opposite from what the sinful natural desires are. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. That's in your Bible. Galatians 5, 17, go read it for yourself. It's a constant conflict to choose right or to choose wrong. And you can justify all you want. You can make every excuse in the world all you want. But if you choose wrong, it's going to be sin. Well, I don't sin. Sure you don't. <laughs> sure you don't. Why is mercy given to us every day? Because we need it. We're fallen man. We're sinful people. You know, let's face it, not everybody's good sinners. Some of them are just jerks. <laughs> I better not take that path. I felt my wife give me a look on that when I was about to go off. Y'all know what I'm saying. There's some nice sinners out in the world, nicer than some saints. <laughs> Woo, old timers got mad on that one. I love y'all. <laughs> oh, right on, right on cue. Spit the water out. <laughs> right it's this constant thing man it's a constant tug of wars anybody know what I'm talking about yet we'll get to, we'll get to, maybe I won't get excited today but but Satan constantly and continues to tempt us through pro promises of different things promises of profit maybe or pleasure Bible tells us Paul would tell us in 2 Timothy 3 that we're going to have these issues we're going to have this love this thing tug of war in us that we love Pleasure, more than we love God himself. Pleasure, of course, incorporates entertainment. How many of you know in America we're in love with entertainment? Entertain me, man. 
Churches have become entertainment cultures because that's what draws people. Oh, Lord Jesus. Somebody better go read what I posted. A.W. Tozer posted this morning. I posted it this morning. A.W. didn't. He's dead. We have this thing in us that it's constantly, and Satan's constantly throwing these things out there to, to attract you. Why do you think he wants you separate from the body? Why do you think he wants you outside of the community, outside of the fellowship believers? Why is it? Because in isolation, he has the upper hand. In community, he doesn't have the upper hand. Is it that simple enough for you to get today? So when you argue that I'm the church, okay, great. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Great, awesome. That doesn't put you in an immune place from the attack of the enemy. So he get constantly, here's pleasure, here's this, here's money, here's career change. A lot of people choose careers that will take them away from a strong community of believers or they'll choose a career that, and it's money that will keep them out of church because i got to work Sundays now because i got to do this and i got to do that and now I'm a two-income family. And then you go and look at their budget and go through their life. We can analyze real quickly why you have to be a two-income family. Oh, Lord Jesus, don't get mad now. Don't get mad now. Y'all heard me talk about it two weeks ago. All these guys my age with goatees and do-rags on riding Harleys that cost thirty-five dollars to $40,000 because that's really what you need. By the way, I want a trike, but I'm trying to save to get a trike because my wife won't ride a motorcycle. I'm just giving, I'm professing that out loud to you, so if I come up with a trike one day, it's paid for. But we have all these things that tug us away from all these things and safety measures God put in place for us. And it's pulling us from here. It's pulling us from over there. Oh, that's boring. You don't have to do that, man. Go over here. It's so much more fun. There's this. Go do that. We got one hour on a Sunday morning, 168 hours in a week, and this is the one hour we struggle with faithfulness. You don't struggle with faithfulness to your job. Why is it? Because you see the return on your investment. You get a paycheck. Your return on your investment here is eternal. So you're not going to see it with your natural eyes. You walk by faith and not by sight. And I trust that one day I'm going to be in heaven. One day I'm going to have a mansion just over the hilltop. One day. It's my investment. Unless we take steps to prevent our falling into sin, it's certain you'll fall into sin. It's certain one day you'll look up and your home will be destroyed because of a decision you made. Your kids will be far out because of the compromises. Listen, compromise doesn't stop. It's a snowball effect. You compromise here. It doesn't just stop here. It keeps rolling. Y'all ever seen those snowballs when they roll and they get bigger and bigger? Y'all seen them cartoons when it runs over Wiley, that Wiley Coyote and it's in the desert? I never understood how they had a snowball in the desert, whatever. I never understood how he had potatoes and tomatoes and carrots and all that, but he was starving to death trying to eat that roadrunner. But anyway, let's move on. Right, it's the snowball effect. I compromise here. That's what happened in the Old Testament book of Judges chapter 2. You got to the third generation. They had no power. They didn't know God or the things of God, Scripture tells you. Why? Because the previous generations compromised. Our country's in the condition it's in because the previous generations compromised. Yeah. My grandfather's generation, which I love the World War II generation, they compromised just a little. The baby boomers compromised a little bit more, and then so on. And by the time you get to the generation Z, what do they call this newest generation? It's not Z, it's what? What do they call them? 
Now, my Lord, y'all should have already screamed that out. I, my memory goes, y'all got to be my memory. Hundred of y'all, y'all can't give me my memory back. Right? And we, and we want to cry and scream about this, this generation when it was our generation that compromised. It was our generation that handed them a plate full of compromise. Do what you want to do, baby. Well, I'm not going to do what my parents did. I'm not going to make my kids do that. Well, good, don't. There's a lot of rehabilitation centers full of kids because parents said, I'm not going to make my kids do that. Oh, you can get mad. You can leave here today and say, I'll never see that fat guy again. It's, it's not going to hurt me as much as it's going to hurt you. Compromise is a snowball effect. It only gets worse. A fear of falling into sin that could nullify our Christian witness and disqualify us as spokespeople of our Lord and Savior. It's wholesome and necessary. If we're able to achieve success as servants of God, I'll forego reading this. Well, no, I'm not going to forego reading it. Let's go into it. First Corinthians chapter nine. All athletes practice practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. See, ignoring the presence and the work of the Holy Ghost is dangerous. So many people drift, and when they're drifting, can I tell you when drifting begins, you sense the Holy Spirit resisting you easily and strongly. As you've been drifting for a while, just as a ship that might lose its rudder in the ocean, and nobody's there to correct it, it gets so far off course I don't even feel that I'm drifting anymore because it's become who I am. I drift. So I don't feel I become cold. When somebody talks to me, I just get cold. Sometimes I get an attitude. You ever met a Christian that's got an attitude? I know y'all hadn't. Look, there ain't no nasty like Christian nasty. I'm just going to tell you right now. (laughs) Yeah, you heard it here, and I said it online, too. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. That's why y'all laughed. L- older people laughed at that one harder than younger people, because we know. We know there's a nasty in human beings. <laughs> I might should not have said that. Many who have trusted Jesus Christ, many that have been filled with his spirit, many that have been to an altar of repentance, Many who have been in these places are uninformed or unaware of God's promise and power that's available to them through the Holy Ghost. Paul would write in the book of Galatians chapter number four, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir to God through Christ Jesus. Wow. 
As part of the conversion experience, the Holy Ghost enters the heart of the believer. But it's not just something that, it's not just an experience that says, oh, we had an experience. No, he enters it to reproduce your mind, to to reproduce the character in the mind and put put in the character of Jesus Christ. The same writer would let us know that, that we're to put on the mind of Christ. Philippians says it. For it, is, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, cannot do his greatest work when his presence is ignored. When his presence is ignored and there's no cooperation on the part of you, the believer, not to respond eagerly and continuously to the inward promptings of the Holy Ghost is to follow a course of drifting. Drifting away from God's will. Drifting away from God's way. Drifting away from those things that he put in place to protect you. So we have this tendency to sin. And when we, get that, when we give in to those things, we begin to neglect some things. Come on, Pastor Nick. You can get up here and hide behind this pillar. This bird. By the way, y'all, Lou painted this bird right here. She started painting it last month. (laughs) That's what Al told me. I don't know. (laughs) Neglecting the means of growth. Neglecting the things that God put in there for. Some have failed to recognize that the conversion experience produces a spiritual infant rather than one who is spiritually mature. To neglect the means of spiritual growth can be detrimental to the spiritual well-being of someone that's brand new. A devotional study of the word of God is the milk and the meat by which the child of God is supposed to grow. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, Now, you know, if envy and strife exist, it says every evil thing is there. That means murder's here. Homosexuality's here. Liars are a bunch of them. It's all here. This is what happens when we neglect. He says, even now, you still neglect. You still refuse solid food. You're not able to take it. We got people been Christians for 50 years still sucking on a pacifier. I would use a politically incorrect term right now. So, Oh, I want to use it so bad, but I'll get thrown out. My wife says, y'all here, don't do it. <laughs> See, that's the balance, y'all, but you'll be thankful for her. I'd be a hardcore person if it wasn't. Right? There's somebody, men say, how many of you, if, if myself or, or you picked the one, maybe Don, if we were running around with a pacifier in our mouth, physically, you would think, oh, that's weird. Right? But see, spiritually, 
A lot of us are still running around with pacifier because the meat, we, don't, we can't digest it because we've been puking up the milk. Mm. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You gotta have something in you that says, I want that thing, I want that. Have you ever tried to give your child some medicine? You knew it was gonna make them feel better, but they would spit it out. Or you'd have to hold them down. <laughs> You're gonna take this. Oh, okay, y'all's kids drank all the medicine you put in front of them. We had a couple of our kids that didn't like it. Still to this day, I bet you can't get some. I don't know where they're all at, but I bet you couldn't get some. They're in their 30s, near 40, and they won't take some of that stuff. I think it's Jessica doesn't like to drink any medicine, and she can't swallow a pill. Girl's 35 years old, and she'll take a little bitty microscopic pill, and she'll hold around and stick it all the way in the back and take a big old drink of Huh? Y'all met people like that? Isn't that funny? I know my wife has weird kids. But, <laughs> right? You desire the pure, desire the pure milk. We, we resist it as if it's a parent giving us some of that nasty. And I said this before, I'm going to say it again. Y'all don't know if you're younger than me, you don't know nasty until you had that gasoline we had to drink. They called cough syrup. Oh, what did they mix that stuff with? They went to the landfill or something and found stuff and just, we'll just call it, just drink it, it'll heal you. Oh, come here, baby, take this oil. What kind of oil is it? Castrol. I don't want that stuff. No, baby, it'll heal that stomach. No, it's going to make me puke. I don't want it. So they finally got smart and made hot toddies. Didn't heal you, but it got you drunk and you forgot you were sick. So, <laughs> just put a little. <laughs> okay, let's move. I just messed that up. We probably ought to have a prayer meeting right now. <laughs> See, communion with God through prayer is as necessary for the health of your soul as sunlight is to the health of your body. Without it, you're diseased. You got something eating away at you that you can't stop. You don't know why you're feeling this way or why it's happening this way. Or You ever notice somebody that's always in trouble? Always something. It's always, I've heard so many stories this last week with some different things going on and different family things and different other things. And they tell me a story. It's a different story. I, I just wait. To, I'm thinking, what story can they come up with next? In case y'all don't know, I was on the street for a long time. <laughs> Please don't come to me with them, Ryan. Let's move. But it's as necessary to your health as food is nourishment to your body. Fellowship with God's people in God's house is as necessary for the growth of your soul as is the love of a family for the development of a child. This is God's design for your health, for your protection, for your well-being. This is why we don't resist this place. Don't let the world and what they've, don't let culture and what they've modeled come in and change what God designed. And the world's done a great job at it because look at how many people resist church because they'll say, oh, hypocrites are there. Hypocrites are everywhere. 
You act like hypocrites are only in churches. They're more highly concentrated in a bar room than they are in a church. You don't have to like it. It's the truth anyhow. Well, hypocrites are there. Well, liars are there. They're everywhere. But at least they're in a church that they're striving to be better and to do better. And they're looking to a God that can save them from that place and that can heal them. There's a danger. Let's go ahead and stand. There's a danger. I got to skip the rest of this. I know it's, I just looked at the hour up there. I don't want y'all to start getting upset. It's time to quit drifting. If you're a Christian in this room today, if you call yourself a Christian, it's time to stop drifting. Drifting is dangerous. It's dangerous for you as a Christian. On every side. There's a world out there that wants to hear the message of salvation, but as long as you're drifting, they won't hear it from you. Because what are you going to lead them to? Where are you going to take them? If the church house isn't necessary, are you going to continue a Bible study until you die with them? This is built. I don't own it. You don't own it. If God tarries, hopefully it'll go into perpetuity and they'll be ministering to people and loving people a hundred years from now from this place. <laughs> Drifting is dangerous. The world wants to hear of this salvation that we all brag about. They want to know about this salvation and this Jesus that we're talking about. So drifting is not only dangerous, drifting is deadly and fatal, if not corrected. As I stated to you, like the, the ship that's drifting without a rudder, if they don't fix that rudder, eventually if somebody doesn't find them and help them, they will perish. There's a story, I've used it before, and there were some fishermen that they were in a, a place in Kentucky. There was a damn, this is actually a real story. They were so excited about fishing. So hear me, fishermen. If you've ever been with Nick Russo's daddy in a boat, you better be prayed up. Speaking in tongues the whole time. Is that right, Nick? Huh? I was with him when he ran on that shallow ground. Running 200 miles an hour. But they were in Kentucky and they were fishing. They were so concentrated on all these fish they were catching that they, they failed to recognize that the current was changing. They were near this dam where they were generating electricity. The worker saw it. And he sounds the horn to try to warn them, but it was too late. Five people with an overloaded boat drowned because they were so focused on the fish they didn't see the danger. That's what drifting does. As you drift, you're so focused on something other than the one that can save you. You're so focused horizontally that your vertical vision's gone. That's drifting. You used to feel Jesus, but now you don't really feel it. It takes a little while. You, and now you're cussing a little more. Now you started smoking again. Now you started drinking again. You say, well, all those in and of themselves aren't sin. I'm not going to debate that with you. i got to ask you, why'd you go there? If that was the old you, why are you still identifying with that dude? 
drifting. That's what it does. And we give in a little here. Before long, one beer ain't gonna hurt me. Whether it's in front of an alcoholic and you make them stumble or not, you don't care. Bless God, they ought to know better. Okay, y'all are sanctified and holy. But that's what drifting does. It becomes all about you. And when it becomes all about you, those people that are dying out there wanting to know about Jesus that you've been bragging about, but they don't see him in you. They just hear him from your mouth. You're always talking to Jesus, but what's the difference? You look just like me. You talk just like me. You act just like me. What's the difference? Why would I go with you? Why would I follow you? Oh, Lord, this is a Sunday morning tough message. Why would I do it? You're no different than everyone else around me. What's your Jesus got that I need? Drifting is deadly. In the spiritual realm, it's even more critical than your physical life. The unsaved can drift over the precipice of death into eternity, unprepared to meet God because of a drifting saint. Everybody's unsaved drifting all the time. You're supposed to have a ship that's targeted, that's pointed, and it's going in that direction. The crucified and risen Christ would confront us in the midst of our drifting and challenge us to cease our aimless and meaningless ways of life. By his death on the cross and by the challenge of his partnership, he calls each of us to an upward life. If you're drifting today, more specifically, if you're a drifting disciple, how about that? If you're a drifting disciple, it's critical today that you rededicate and reconsecrate your life. It's critical today that you begin again to do the things that not only please Jesus, but that bring delight to him. And when you bring delight to him, it brings delight to your soul. If you're among the great number that are drifting along and delaying a decision to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you should be warned today that drifting is dangerous and deadly. And if you see a Christian drifting, don't judge them. Reach for them. You can't reach for them if you're drifting the same direction. Then you both go into the generating waters of peril. Jesus is calling everyone in this room today. So today, the good news of God's love is here. You have an opportunity to respond with confidence that he will save you, that he will heal you, that he will set you free, that he will fix the rudder on your ship called life and point you back in the right direction where you're away from those stormy seas. But it's up to you to make the decision. You have to make it. You can make it now. But if you say not now, then I'll ask you when. 
If not now, then when? You have to ask yourself, why am I delaying this decision? Why am I not giving myself wholly and completely to the Lord? That's only an answer, a question that you can answer. I can't answer that for you. This is for saved and unsaved. Today it's time to rededicate. They're going to sing. I get it's a different Sunday message, but I got to do it in a t-shirt. Those that are watching, I appeal to you right where you're at. And I appeal to all of you. Find a place, whether it be here, you stand, sit, kneel, come up here for prayer. But let's rededicate our lives to Jesus like never before. We got VBS coming up. And they need to see all these red shirts, green shirts, blue shirts, whatever. Whoever interacts, whoever's around people in your life, they, they need to see Jesus in you. Not a compromiser, not someone that's right on the edge or the periphery, but someone that's right in the middle of the fire and the Holy Ghost consumes us. That's what the world needs to see. Is there anybody? Pastor Nick, begin to sing. You'll come and pray. Pray where you're at. This is what we call the altar area. I'll move this back. Wants to rededicate your heart to Jesus. Anybody in here? I'm asking you. I won't belabor this. God bless you. We love you. Click on the link if you want any more information. In Jesus' name. Oh, there's a few more. I feel in the Holy Spirit right now. There's a few more. Come on, we've been drifting. It's okay, man. We all do it. I'm, I'm urging Christians.